This is Reversing Labs' new podcast where we talk to threat researchers, threat intelligence experts, and folks who are expert in malware and threat hunting and uh, kind of go do deep dives with them uh, to help you in your work uh, within organizations. Really excited this week uh, with our guest with us today, we have Yelisi Bugulovsky from Advance Intel. He is a top threat researcher and expert, and we're going to be talking about the news of the week. Um, and uh, so to start off, I thought I would just introduce myself. My name is Paul Roberts. I am the cyber content lead here at um, Reversing Labs and longtime cybersecurity journalist and analyst. So I've been covering this space for a while. Really excited to be doing this podcast and talking to uh, these folks. Um, joining me from Reversing Labs, we've got Carolyn Van Arsdale. Hi, Carolyn, who's going to help us do the Q&A. And... Um, and uh, Eli, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Hi, my name is Yelise Bogoslavsky. I'm the head of uh, research at Advanced Intelligence LLC. Um, I have been tracking uh, ransomware groups and malware groups for the last six years. Previously, I worked in um, sanctions and regulatory compliance. Um, I have a security studies degree from Georgetown, uh, George Washington University, and I'm uh, an author of um, a book called Security Pragmatism, the Peripheral Alliance, which is devoted to uh, the intelligence cooperation between Turkey, Israel, Iran, uh, Ethiopia, and Sudan uh, back in the 50s and the 60s. Really great about you, Eli, is you've got expertise in both malware and threats, and then also like just a lot of the geopolitical context. And we're going to be talking about that today. Um, okay, so our agenda for the for the show, we're going to be spending the first part of the show um, just talking about some of the big news of the week, um, in particular, you know, the ongoing uh, warfare and including cyber warfare in Ukraine, um, as well as um, the uh, exploits of the Lapsus Group. Um, and then we're going to go to our main topic uh, for the show, which is the Conti malware ransomware. It's been around for a while, um, but it is something that is increasingly generating warnings and concerns. There's a new activity, and we're going to talk about why Conti, which has been around for a while, is suddenly uh, at the top of everybody's uh, list of things they're worried about. Yelly, talk uh, to just tell us a little bit about uh, Advent Intel and the work that you guys do, just so our audience kind of understands what, what the company is. So we're a threat prevention company. Uh, we're specifically focusing on um, preventing attacks, on identifying the precursors, on identifying the uh, anatomy of previous attacks in order to um, predict and prevent and disrupt the future attacks. That's the main reason why we're putting such a strong emphasis on ransomware, um, or another obvious reason, of course, because ransomware is so prolific now. And mm -hmm. our model is essentially based on um, tracking down the ransomware precursors uh, from botnets to specific selections of uh, targeted endpoints, specific selections of vulnerabilities that are um, adversarially targeted by prolific ransomware groups. And uh, by this, we are essentially are able to disrupt the attack on the stage when 
it's still um, it's still possible to remediate to a point when there is no damage, when the um, payload is not deployed, when the data is not denied, and most importantly, when data is not exfiltrated or exposed in any sense. Yeah, earlier is better, definitely, with uh, spotting these attacks and, and preventing them, right? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that, that's what makes our intelligence so important. Um, so to... Uh, so let's let's talk just a little bit about some of the big news that's been happening this week. Um, like cybersecurity, it's never dull. There's always a lot going on. Um, first off, uh, the the war in Ukraine uh, started more than a month ago, uh, and as we've reported in others, you know, coincident with the start of that war, there was a lot of um, cyber activity. We saw some new wiper malware that were deployed within Ukraine's cyberspace. Um, and we saw an attack on um, satellite uh, modems as well at the at the onset of that uh, conflict. Um, Eli, what can you tell us about the state of, of, of play right now in Ukraine and um, whether you know the, that initial kind of flurry of attacks, whether we've seen that keep up over the last month? Uh, I think there is a major confusion, if uh, not say shock, with um, what we see on the cyberspace, because the natural expectations was that the uh, war will definitely be uh, guided uh, in parallel with massive spike of cyber warfare activities, which uh, is not seen at this point. And this confusion is even one way beyond the American or Western cyber community as, uh, as a person myself of uh, Ukrainian and Russian origin. Um, I, I've been participant of the Yevromaidan revolution back in 2014. I'm looking at this space from within as well, and I see this confusion across the Ukrainian cyber community and the Russian cyber community regarding yeah. the regarding the lack of you know massive attacks or just constant attacks and the the likely reason for that is that um most of the cyber threat will, for this region, the actual cyber threat, not the one that was like politicized through the media, came from the for-profit groups. And the for-profit groups, and we will um, talk more about that in a Conti example, for-profit groups decided to stay with their craft rather than engage in uh, political or warfare-related operations. And then at the same time, the state affiliated groups, first of all, I believe their capabilities, especially on the Russian side, were highly overestimated, partly because of the political context um, related to those groups and bipartisan context here in the West and the United States. But also, uh, they were always seen strategically as an auxiliary substitute for the um, this gray zone between war and peace, um, specifically in Ukraine after the Minsk yeah. efforts in 2015 and um, beyond 2015. Um, when we saw groups like Gamaridan, who were essentially targeting uh, military infrastructure through cyber means because there is no uh, there is no opportunity to target military infrastructure with uh, kinetic means. So right. as a substitute to kinetic warfare, cyber espionage was to some point um, 
practiced by uh, Russians especially, but also by Ukrainians. But now with the uh, kinetic warfare uh, being waged, there is just no need for this supplementary power. And as a result of that, um, we just we just don't see it because it's unnecessary. Um, like you, you don't need to hack a grid if you can shoot a missile into the grid. Right. Right. Yeah, that's right. And and I think initially there were there were expectations that Russia was basically going to you know shut off the internet within Ukraine, kind of deny them um, you know any uh, ability to connect with the outside world and so on. We didn't see that, whether because the defenses were better than we than than people expected, or maybe because the Russian military needed to rely on an infrastructure just like the Ukrainian military did. Um, but yeah, it seems like once the bomb started dropping and the tanks started rolling, um, cyber ops were kind of a sideshow in this whole mm -hmm. thing. And, and certainly it, it, that that's been my impression, just covering the news, um, in the last few weeks, we have seen, I think what's interesting, we definitely have seen some novel malware that was clearly used. And we wrote about this and talked about this in our last conversing labs, clearly prepared in advance of this operation by, we can assume, the Russians and Russian-affiliated groups. So like, you know, malware was part of the mm -hmm. arsenal that Russia had prepared for this operation. Yes, this is true. And I think as in any major military operation, there, of course, like, you know, the level of preparation was not really relatable to the, the, the level of the actual actual warfare. So yeah, they tried to engage in different ways of preparing for the operation and malware was a part of it, but when the actual warfare began, it all shrank to extremely conventional means, which I think reminds us in general that, well, the war definitely reminds us that the wars are still possible. Some kind of notion, I think we start to drop here a bit in the West. And it also reminds us that the conventional wars are fought pretty much the same as they used to be fought 50 years ago. There, there is not that much yeah. change. And I think it also relates to the question of, you know, what is cyber warfare? Well, in an actual war, probably there is just no cyber warfare and that's it. Right, right. There might be cyber operations, right? Mm -hmm. Um, as part of your kinetic attack, but um, mm -hmm. but again, kind of a kind of a sideshow. Okay, so the other big story of the last week or two weeks really has been uh, Lapsus, which is this group, um, malicious actor group, not uh, brand new. It's been around for a while, but really has uh, attracted a lot of attention with some very high profile attacks going back a few weeks. Nvidia, um, uh, and then more recently, Okta, LG, Microsoft and on and on and on. Um, Gilly, what can you tell us about Lapsus? Um, so Lapsus is an interesting um, game changer. Uh, in general, uh, I think one thought I will be reiterating through the entire podcast today is that 2022 is the turning point for ransomware and ransomware is evolving in very different ways uh, through the last like half year and we will see more and more of this evolution and changes and um, redesigning of patterns in 2022. And I think uh, Lapsus is a great example of those, those changes. We, for the three years, we were so used that uh, ransomware is traditionally Russian speaking and it's based uh, it's based around, you know, attacks that are conducted by 
organized groups with many individuals who have careers, professional careers, so to speak, in cybercrime for years and years. And then we see these teenagers in uh, UK uh, who are not a part of any crime groups, who are not even yeah. Russians or like Russian speakers, and um, who are not uh, really motivated like for any ideological or for-profit reasons. And this is this is definitely something that I don't think anybody expected, uh, yeah. because of how how straight and rigid the pattern of ransomware developments are, but also because it's just something like very counterintuitive. And this is this is a very interesting precedent, and it would be really interesting to see if we will see similar precedents like that uh, popping up all around the world, not only in mm. the UK. Yeah, I mean, one byproduct of these high-profile attacks is they got a lot of attention, both from other uh, from threat researchers like yourself, as well as just within the um, underground hacking community. Uh, and it was revealed uh, the leader of this group, a 16-year-old uh, from Oxford in the United Kingdom. I think there were arrests of seven people in the UK, possibly including that individual, all between the ages of 16 and 21. Um, and then there's maybe uh, some other uh, members of this group who are located elsewhere in the world. Um, I think that really surprised people, especially given the targets um, mm -hmm. like Okta, um, you know, not, I mean, an incredibly valuable company, but not one that you would think teenagers would be particularly interested in going after, uh, as well as Microsoft and, and so on. Um, it, it really, um, it's a little bit frightening, I think, that, that, firms that are that sophisticated, that have the resources and technical expertise could still fall victim to a bunch of teenagers. Um, what, what do we know about their methodology and, and what, why they, they have been able to uh, compromise uh, those environments? Uh, again, uh, not easy targets. Well, the, the main reason for that is like, yes, those those firms are large and they, they, they can defend themselves, invest in a lot of defenses, but exactly because of their scale, the attack surface is just enormous. And this is this is exactly what Lapsus has been weaponizing. Um, we couldn't say it was some kind of, you know, Common, um, common selective APT style uh, big game hunting ransomware attack. It was rather feeling this huge scale of attack surface to a point when they were able to find the vulnerability and then develop this vulnerability. So in this sense, it doesn't really matter how much, like for the company like Microsoft, it doesn't really matter how much you invest in defenses just the scale of the environment and the um, like how ubiquitous digital technology is, um, it makes the attack surface so large that something will break somewhere. There, there would be a hole somewhere, maybe even a primitive one. And yeah. after a while, like, you know, after, after a certain time span on trial and error, like lapses did, um, you'll find the thing and then definitely after that it all depends on skill and in the sense like people who were arrested like the, we, we can say they're really talented because after finding this hole in the wall uh, and then going further in actually exploiting it this is yes when, this is the actual trial yeah. for the skill you, you but, need to be able to avoid detection once you're in the environment they clearly yeah. were able to do that they were able to take and leak data and so on I mean one, 
one thing I think ours, Dan Goodenover and Ars Technica was writing about this. I mean, one technique we know they used was um, uh, basically um, uh, multi-factor authentication prompt bombing, uh, whether it's, I don't know, Duo or some other um, uh, multi-factor authentication app, just sending you know prompt after prompt, login prompt, to individuals who, where they had their credentials in the hope that they would just wear them down. Eventually they just approve the, the MFA prompt and, and let them in. And apparently that's been successful in some of these instances. Um, Dan Gooden pointed out that, you know, Cozy Bear, the, the solar winds hackers did a pretty similar thing in their operation. So it's like, we're seeing this confluence is coming together of mm -hmm. uh, high-end attack techniques um, used both by nation state APT groups where you'd expect it, but also just kind of run of the mill, you know, teenagers out having lulls. Um, and that, that must be concerning, I think, if you're, if you're an organization. That's true. That's, that's really true. And uh, I mean, we can revert this thing to some extent and we can actually question ourselves, maybe those who were considered state hackers from the GRU were also some kind of teenagers who were not really affiliated to the state. But, I mean, <laughs> that's true. I'll, we I'll, actually I'll don't know. Yeah. Politics here. Yeah. Uh, but um, <laughs> I need to say that we've definitely at Advantel, we have tracked cases um, originating from Iran and uh, most likely hackers who were affiliated with Iranian state just uh, based on the on the targeting, on the target selection um, that they, they had specifically related to um, some uh, information related to military blueprints, to Navy blueprints, and um, they were uh, they were applying a very similar methodology of bypassing to FA or over overloading the user of 2FA, so to speak. So um, this is, I, I completely agree with you. This is very concerning. And I think that uh, that was that was something that has been silently going for years with the ransomware sure. epidemic. Yeah. Because initially, like ransomware was this like low end, especially across the Russian speaking cyber, uh, cyber crime community, like ransomware was considered something despicable because it's an intellectual shortcut. And then ransomware groups essentially turn to APTs from anything, mm -hmm. any standpoint, methodologies, but most importantly, goals. They mm -hmm. stay there, uh, like, let's say Conci, which we'll be uh, talking in a minute. Uh, Conci has uh, around three um around three weeks of persistency that's that's usually how long they spend in the target environment uh quite often it's like less it's like one week or two weeks but in in specific important cases for them they can stay as long as three four weeks and this is exactly the persistency that defines apt i mean like we, we call them uh persistent threat for for a reason that's in their literal name and um, this is this is definitely a big trend going on for years that the high profile high high end methodologies are becoming day to day arsenals of um, this larger or smaller or individual for profit groups where as Lopsus case it's not even for profit it's for for attention. Um. So we, we've seen some recent ops from Lapsus. Final question. Um, uh, this, they claimed responsibility for hacking this uh, firm Globant as well. Um, is this group 
gone, not gone? Like, what is their status? And I know it's really hard to determine that when you have these kind of loose global affiliations of people, but seven people arrested in the UK, but they do still seem to be active. They create a very, um, a very noisy public campaign right now through the dark web community. Uh, pretty much everybody on the dark web now claims that they're a part of Lapsus. Yeah, and then some I'm part of Lapsus, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's so hard. Like they are, um, they're pretty much doing the same what they did with the two FAs, but on the information front. You know, uh-huh. they're just overload, and it was noise to a point when signal start starts losing, and. Uh, it's really hard to say if, well, so, so, some percentage of the group is definitely still active. Uh, the challenge for any group like like Lapsus or like Conti or like any other group like this that relies on persistency is you can lose two, three talented pen testers and you're essentially done because the main operations will uh, center around this couple of individuals who have this extended skill. So it, w- w- we should wait. We should see if they're they're, they're making any more uh, hits like this. And if they're not, then we can uh, probably judge it out that um, yeah. the, the talented ones they were either caught or realized that they can be caught. And um, it just it highlights, I think, one of the things that you're very familiar with, which is kind of getting situational awareness with with uh, groups that operate online. Um, can be very, very difficult, right? Mm-hmm. Knowing what to believe, who's for real, who's just a poser, what's noise, what's signal. Um, it's a challenge. Um, okay. Uh, so main topic today, I think we brought you in to talk about was uh, Conti, a ransomware group that has been around for a number of years, um, also known as Wizard Spider, Ryuk, like they go by a bunch of different names, um, maybe as far back as 2016, um, and and pretty well known, done some pretty big operations. And yet we're hearing a lot more about them, uh, including a a recent alert from uh, CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency here in the US. Why, um, Ilya, are we hearing so much about Conti right now? What's what's going on and what's what's prompting this? So this is the final results of uh, a way longer trend that has been going on with Vox Conti and with the rest of the ransomware world. So like to, to answer shortly to your question, Conti became, Conti was always very visible, but now everyone else died. So Conti is uh, establishing this dominance by not only being powerful itself, but also by uh, just consuming the vacuum uh, that has been left after uh, so many other groups dying out. And um, the question here, the other question here is like, why did they die out? What what happened? And uh, like, as, as the name of the podcast says that the Putin Conti into context. So the context is that uh, for several years, ransomware was grounded on this ransomware as a service operation. When you have essentially an anarch- anarchic decentralized group of people who just ran the same payload 
and then everything else they do, they do it themselves. They get access to themselves. They deliver the payload themselves. They negotiate the data exfiltration thing themselves. And um, because we were not prepared, just in general, uh, at the very beginning, back in 2019, um, going back to the question of large attack surfaces, we we're not prepared for this. Um, they were um, utilizing the scale impact. They were targeting the ransomware as a service. They were targeting as many uh, vulnerable endpoints as possible. And when you have a large attack, attack service, you try to hit 1,000 RDPs, you get 10 and you lock 10 companies. That's that's enough for you. Uh, Conti never really followed up this path from the very beginning when they were still Ryuk. First of all, um, there are two main things about them in this sense. It's organization and it's um, methodology. On organizational side, they were always very corporate. They were very highly organized, hierarchical group in which people were working and are working in teams with specialization, with yeah. different divisions. And then on the methodological level, they've never relied on this decentralized way of attack. Instead, they formed alliances with uh, larger groups such as Streetbot and Imatat and Coabot and many, many others. But the important ones, of course, are Streetbot and Imatat, and we'll be talking more about them today. Yeah. So they were forming alliances with those groups and they ended up with a very short uh, supply chain when you have um, essentially three elements. Imatad was dropping Trigbot, Trigbot was dropping Ryuk. Uh, well, the, 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 uh, now it's Quincy, uh, used to be Ryuk. So um, then 2021 happened. And in 2021, we were already pretty much prepared for uh, dealing with ransomware. Uh, as a result of that, there was uh, a new approach to security protocols, specifically security compliance and audits. The attack mm -hmm. surface started to shrink because uh, companies on a massive level started to implement proper protection. And because ransomware was uh, honestly on the intrusion side, uh, very primitive uh, for most of the groups, um, even applying basic protection, if, even by smaller firms, that tremendously shrink the attack surface. And then the new legislation came in, um, the new support from the government started to come in, um, the political aspects of ransomware started to come in as well, and firms start, stopped uh, paying for data as well, uh, when this data was not exfiltrated properly, when mm. they just download a bunch of stuff and they're like, hey, we have 200 gigabytes of your data, pay us. And yeah. Logbit keeps doing that, and they're just not paid, they're going bankrupt. So Conti, um, uh, because of that, all those uh, ransomware as a service, uh, Arrival, Avadon, Darkseid, and the, the, yep. the list is endless. They, they just died out in one year, and some of them um, died out through a political uh, impact, primarily yep. the Russians start taking them down. But by the point, by the time when they start to have problems with the Russians, those groups were already in a pretty bad condition. And to this point, except for our evil, which were publicly arrested, we actually don't know what happened to those groups. There are a lot of rumors that you know they were taken down by the Russians, but across the dark web, there are more realistic rumors saying that they all committed exit scams. Um, which, uh, honestly, I think is way more realistic considering who those people are and, you know. That's where you sort of take the money and don't pay your affiliates, basically. Exactly. 
Exactly. Yeah. You just take all the money and you just disappear. Right. And uh, right. most likely they are regional or evil. Uh, that's that's what they did. And Darkseid did the same and Black Matter did the same and Amazon did the same. They they just stole the money and disappeared because they realized they cannot conduct business anymore. So Conti was different. And um, and again, you, you think that's because combination of factors, better defense, more support from governments like the, you know, CISA and the United uh, States. I, I would say two, two main things, better defenses and very extended, very long supply chain lines supply chain is chain. decentralized. Also, very, very low level of sophistication. And you have a bunch of people not working together with different skills, doing different stuff. You have pretty low, low level of sophistication at the end of the day. It's like the, the, the army, the army moves with the speed of its uh, slowest element. This is the same mm -hmm. here. Uh, those groups operated on the quality of their weakest element. Um, so Quanti, going back to them, they were different from the very beginning. And in 2021, they took a very opposite path to all that. They started to be even more centralized. They kicked a lot of people out. And those people were uh, something closer to affiliates. Mm -hmm. And uh, in this sense, uh, the leaks, the first leaks, especially back in summer, um, it actually ironically helped them because they just kicked all the affiliates and the affiliates were those who were like, you know, dampen uh, the manuals and everything else. And they became even more hierarchical and more highly organized. Uh, the second thing is uh, through this uh, hierarchization and centralization, they simply started to consume other groups. And most importantly, they first consumed TrickBot. And recently, they just shut it down. And you, you can imagine how much power Quanti should have to just shut down the one of the like most dangerous financial botnets that were there since, I believe, yeah. 2016 or 2015. And um, then on the opposite side, they resurrected Imotat, which was down after the law enforcement operation. That's right. That was yeah. a massive. Hmm? That's right. Yeah, so that, that, that we've, we've seen reporting on that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So both Imotat was massive. Uh, CISA considered it one of the most dangerous uh, malware strains ever created. Uh, and the law enforcement operation was also ma massive. I believe it was around seven states, uh, seven different nations involved to take Imotat down. And Imotat was dead for a year. And then suddenly in November, Conti makes an executive decision to resurrect it. And somehow we, we actually see that they have the organizational power and capacity to resurrect it. And now Imitat is again getting very high uh, percentage in the overall infection statistics of botnet threat ecosystem. But now it's not just a loader that serves for different purposes. It's already all its capabilities are focused on this one spot of uh, deploying uh, deploying the payloads needed for Quanti. Um, at this point, it's mostly Cobalt Strike. So um, to just uh, sum up my thought, uh, with, with this organizational approach, they were able to not only survive, but also thrive. And then on the operational side, when everyone else is just was just doing random things on the ransomware as a service affiliate based pattern, when you just find accesses yourselves and like whatever you do, like you can connect with brokers, the brokers connect to uh, yeah. malware stealer host, and it goes it goes to eternity. Um, the content instead of that just created an R&D, uh, an R&D division, which 
is currently uh, working on many different projects, and they were also the ones who, um, you know, were responsible for re-weaponizing Imatad or shutting down Trigbot, because when you shut down something as big as Trigbot, you suddenly get a lot of free resources. And um, they, they only start, I feel, uh, well, from our, from our uh, sensitive source intel, uh, we can say they only start understanding the strategic power and this absolutely unique strategic role that they now have in the threat landscape and um, they are they are aiming to turn to an actual syndicate in a sense that it's not a gang it's um to business it's a hierarchical business uh uniting people with the same craft in an organization of highly corporate order and then the second definition for a syndicate that it aims for the monopoly and conti is clearly aiming for the monopoly in the entire ransomware market um what what do we uh, you say they're doing research and development right now on what are new malware new exploits and um what should our listeners know about the research that they're doing and how they might prepare for what's coming. So there are two stories here. One is more like practical mitigation related, and the other one is more like threat landscape related. I will start with the first one. Um, so their current developments are obviously uh, delegated to Imatad a lot. So uh, for mitigation side, any ISCs related to Imatad um, that should be on high alert um, since uh, they're putting a lot of emphasis into that. Uh, at this point, they're primarily experimenting with just different infection patterns on the spamming side. So Imatat mm -hmm. yields them more uh, US-based jurisdictions or like English-speaking jurisdictions. Right. Um, because traditionally Imatat works better in Europe uh, than the, the North America. And, and, and Conti itself has been very mostly focused in North America and, and Western Europe in terms of its targets. And they're getting even more focused because uh, since summer, uh, they've created um, an intelligence slash counter-espionage division uh, which is uh, very similar to traditional corporate intelligence. So right. <laughs> they're, reviewing, they're reviewing legal frameworks. They are reviewing, uh, we're seeing clear education uh, indications that during negotiations, they're now um, putting a lot of emphasis on legal and regulatory frameworks related to privacy laws. Uh, in the jurisdiction at which their target is. As a way to leverage their as victims. A way to exactly. And it's not they, just that we have your data, we also have evidence and now you're in violation of this law. Yes, exactly. Because they, of us. They say exactly <laughs> this. Yes, almost right. verbatim to, to what you said. Like they, they say, check this legal framework because you, you seem to be violating it. And we're here to help you. They're being a ruler. Really yeah. They, yeah. They try to sell their, 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 they're trying to sell what they do as a form of product of, of compliance and data protection. Yes. And um, they, they GDP just, arm twisting, we can call it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they seem to be just feeling more comfortable for just working with the legal jurisdictions within the English speaking world. And obviously, like, you know, for a group that is entirely Russian speaking, of course, for them, um, working with an English speaking environment is, is always better. Like it's the, the way you read documents, the way you read network shares, the way you just negotiate with targets, it's it's definitely more uh, more comfortable environment for them. 
So redirection of Vimatad is one thing. Uh, Bazaar Call, this is their new initiative, and this is essentially a combination of advanced engineering, uh, advanced social engineering, and uh, um, malicious technologies. Um, this is the reverse of the initiative that had been practiced back by Rayuk. Uh, back in um, 2020. So this is a reset of that, it seems. And the, the, current, um, the current observation is that uh, this is somehow related to extensive use of calls and um, specifically luring, uh, luring targets into uh, opening malicious attachments with the extensive use of calls. Um, so oh, phone any, calls, we mean phone calls. Yes. Yeah. So any, yeah. any, anything related to phone calls, which we don't really associate that much with, uh, ransomware groups. No. Uh, yeah. That, that should be an, also an indicator of high alert. And then, um, on their specific research side, um, there are four, um, there are four main, um, avenues that are taken It's Sonic Wolf, Sonic exploit exploitation, uh, it's petite patam exploitation, mm -hmm. um, different CVEs related to privilege escalation, and then most importantly, uh, log for j log for shell with which they're experimenting since December 2021 at least, um, pretty much since the vulnerability was discovered. Um, it doesn't seem that they're too successful in any of those experiments at this point, which is good. Um, but um, the the research itself, I think, is very concerning. And then um, the other story I wanted to tell related to that, related to um, the Conti uh, R&D side. So um, they are, um, they seem to be um, understanding that this traditional approach practiced by ransomware groups through the last three years is not leading anywhere. And they're trying to escape this being locked in a toolbox of traditional methodologies. And keep in mind, Russian-speaking actors, or Russian-speaking ransomware actors are extremely conservative. It would be the same playbook with Cobalt Strike and um, you know, specific methods uh, of deployment or data, like it will be the same R clone for data exfiltration, would be the same beacons for, um, same playbook for Cobalt Strike beacons for ransomware deployment, et cetera, et cetera. So um, they seem to be really tired of this, of this pattern in which you religiously just repeat the same and the same and the same thing. And obviously for, a landscape that is developing so rapidly, ransomware at its current shape exists only for like three years, essentially. Um, well, let's say four years. Um, like for, for such a dynamically evolving world, you cannot, you just cannot afford doing this repetitivity. So what Conti is strategically looking for is to dive into something new, ideally something, you know, set from scratch. And uh, it looks like what they're doing more on the personal initiatives of some of their members, they're engaging other groups mm -hmm. with uh, supporting them with their initial accesses. We, uh, we at Adventel, we constantly see cases in which you have a precursor that is exclusive to Conti. And then suddenly the attack starts to develop somewhere 
at a different spot. So in, in a ransomware group like Karakurt or like Black Byte or Black Cat, uh, they all have the same interest in black pattern, by the way, because even Karakurt that in Kazakh means um, Karakurt is, is the spider from, from the steppe. Um, I know that Kara means uh, black and Turkish and like to, to, to Turkish related languages. So uh, the, the, they have the same pattern and uh, we, we believe it's, it's like, a, it's like a branding thing almost, yeah. But it may be a branding thing. So, so with Black Hat specifically, um, they started to engage with them, giving them initial, offering them initial accesses, initial uh -huh. users. And it looks like what they're doing, so they're looking at Black Cat, and Black Cat, also known as Alpha B, uh, their main modus operandi is centered all around being operating from scratch, like no previous methodologies. Uh, they wrote their locker on Rust rather than C. They only use uh, self-scripted, self-written, customized, offensive tool. No right. legitimate tool, pen tester tools like Cobalt Strike. Right, and it looks it's all like, that we we would call bespoke. It's all it's all created just yes. on its own. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And it looks like Quanti is looking at it and they're like, oh, that's exactly the tool set that we need and someone already developed it for us. And it feels at this point, just like judging by the intel we have, it seems at this point that they're trying to give them accesses on a personal level in order to get better visibility into their tool set, into their arsenal, mm -hmm. and use it for their own purposes. So mm -hmm. basically what the story means is by 2022, and I think this is really illustrative for how fundamental this year will become for us, Ransomware already became so sophisticated and corporate that they're conducting literal industrial espionage against other ransomware groups. And this is not something like, we have not seen it ever. This is something like so new. And yeah. this is this is especially fascinating. And uh, actually, there are a lot of things that can be said in this context about Black Cat, uh, depending on our, our, our time frame. I can add more stories on that as well. Um, when we talk about, um, you know, uh, Conti, uh, you know, taking on or, or taking over uh, uh, Black Cat or uh, Emotet or TrickBot, th these these are other, in, in theory, independent um, malware groups or botnet uh, groups. So they're development organizations, right? What what's going on behind the scenes when when you see again a group like Conti all of a sudden throw in big time behind a, 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 a piece of malware like a Motet? Is that mostly about directing development resources towards basically an open source project, or is it about kind of an aqua hire? You know, where they'll go out and say, "Listen, uh, you know, we'll pay you to keep doing what you're doing, um, but we've got our own kind of." product development uh, map here and we want you to follow that or is it more hostile um you know we're literally taking over the code base and and turning it to our own ends i think it's both uh, a lot of this depends um on again you know organization here is everything a lot of this depends by on uh, personal connections so with streetbot conti had since it was still ryuk 
they all knew each other in real life. Those groups were, again, because they were so highly organized, yeah. they were able to afford essentially, you know, some offline activity, pretty ex extensive offline activity, as we have seen, uh, judging by the recent Conti leaks. So that um, there was not much hostility at all with the trick bot. With Imitat, it was more complicated because there it was also offline background there as well, but that background came through TreatBot. Mm -hmm. And um, here, from what we can judge at this point, uh, it was more unilateral. It was mm -hmm. onto like, you know, you're dead in any case, we're your last chance. Okay. And, and, um, you don't really have a choice here. Right. So it's, and then well, it comes, throwing them a lifeline, which, which mm -hmm. means funding and money and, and, Absolutely. you know, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you mentioned a couple of times the leaks there have been there have been a string of leaks with Conti. Um, they had an affiliate that spilled um, some internal documentation, uh, quite detailed uh, documentation on how affiliates should be operating. Um, I, there were definitely some security teams who were like, "Damn, I'd like that good, you know documentation that good." Um, there were some internal chats leaked, and then more recently, in the wake of the Russia invasion of Ukraine, there was a whole lot of chats leaked, um, apparently by a Ukrainian um, subsidiary within Conti who was unhappy that the group had kind of signaled support for the Russian invasion. Um, what did we learn from those leaks? And given that there was so much information about the group's operations that spilled into the public domain, um, why haven't we arrested them or shut down this group more effectively with so much known about it? Well, with, um, you know, as, as with any major cyber takedown, to take someone down, you need to imply physical force. And that's only possible when you have the jurisdiction that allows you to do that. Right. And Conti is not, it's not basing themselves in any of those jurisdictions, even right. though um, probably around 50% of the group are Ukrainians ethnically. Uh, interestingly enough, we have like secondary intelligence suggestion that one of the leaders who was behind the statement that provoked everything that Conti supports Russia, um, they are likely from Eastern Ukraine. So it's it's even like there, there are three sides in this Conti conflict of yeah. Ukraine. Really complicated. Yeah. Very complicated. It's, I mean, at, at the actual conflict um, waged in um, you know, mm. actual life. So um, they're just not basing themselves in the jurisdictions in which it's possible. Mm -hmm. uh, also, um, we definitely learned a lot about the organization and the structure and the internal process in there. But this kind of knowledge, this kind of intelligence does not always, uh, does not always transcends into you know, action. When, when you know a lot about the enemy, let's say about their armed forces having this specific tanks, you still need to destroy these tanks if you are in active war right. with them. That's right. pretty much same and here. As you were saying, one of the things that Conti and other ransomware groups do, you know, they're attacking layer eight, they're attacking people either via, you know, phishing or, you know, uh, uh, multi-factor authentication bombing or whatever. And it's just very hard to be a hundred percent accurate, you know, or a hundred percent effective in keeping your employees from, from yes. making a, a small mental error. Absolutely. Um, and and yeah. also I think when, like, you know, when we talk about takedowns, let, 
let's say like you know with our country with what our law enforcement can do and um uh, CISA specifically uh, i believe has a very clear understanding that conti is a group of extremely high resilience and if you try to take them down and you do something wrong they can actually reappear more dangerous, more evil, and even more damaging. Mm -hmm. I, like to, to some extent, uh, that was something that happened with Streetbot when it was there was an attempt to take it down in November 2020, and um, we, we could not we could not call it a failure in any sense because uh, there was a massive exposure of Streetbot IOCs, and after this um, after this attack. Uh, Trigbot never fully recovered, and uh, mm. the fact that it was taken down recently uh, within the Conti leadership was justified exactly by this exposure of ISCs and high detection, which resulted directly from the law enforcement uh, operation back in November 2020. But at the same time, as a response, first of all, the entire Trigbot section, they were still independent at that point. They went down, they started to be quiet, and they came up with a very nasty stealthier version of Treebot, which was Bazaar Backdoor and then Bazaar Loader, that kind of served them also a good service. And uh, I think the, the law enforcement, the state security agencies here in America, at least, they have enough of um, deep understanding of how resilient Conti is and that it's not you need to be sure 100% that you kill it with one shot, otherwise it will just multiply and become more dangerous than it used to be. Yeah. Hey, Ellie, do you have uh, time for a few questions from our audience? I know we, we have a few uh, that have been posed and um, folks, if you're listening, uh, use the Q&A feature if you want to uh, uh, ask questions of your own. Uh, we're inviting Carolyn on to uh, help us with the audience questions. Hey, Carolyn. Hi everybody, my name is Carolyn. Um, I'm a cyber content creator at Reversing Labs. I'm excited to be here today. Um, so we do have a few questions um, that uh, we should get started with, um, if that's mm -hmm. all right. Um, so I know that we already talked about Emotet um, in this conversation, but we do have a question about it. Um, so pertaining to Emotet, in your opinion, um, is the botnet back to full strength since the January 2021 disruption? And you know, how does that factor into Conti? So um, let's say this, it's not as um, prolific from a sense of scale as it used to be. So it's not in fact in as many organizations as it's used to. However, because it's so much focused, it's so much geared now, um, it's more strong. Like, you know, it's, it's the extensiveness versus the intensivity and Imatab became way more intense in a sense that instead of dropping a bunch of like different malware strains, a lot of which uh, were not that good uh, when Imitat was like very large. Now it's primarily dropping Cobalt Strike. And if previously Imitat attack, Imitat infection can um, not be noticed simply because it doesn't lead to anywhere, these days, it will most likely lead to um, Conti attack, to direct Conti attack, or to an attack of any other group with which Conti shares their initial accesses, where uh, there are quite a few. 
So the scale dropped, but the potential uh, ripple effects of an imitate infection increased tremendously specifically because now it's an exclusive quantity tool and not just, you know, some neutral loader as a service as it's used to be. Right. It's definitely something that they've monopolized for sure. Um, thank you. So let's get on to the next question. Um, it's about Revol. Um, so what are your thoughts on the arrest of Revol members on January 14th, 2022 by the Russian Federal Security Service, the FSB? As the suspects aren't likely to be extradited by the Russian government, uh, do you view this as simply done to placate the U.S. government prior to the existing conflict? Is it likely that Revol will, will return in another form, in your opinion? I don't believe Revol can return um, just because uh, their model their model is not sustainable anymore. They will not be able to handle the um, competition with someone like Consul, let's say. Also, they have a very dark reputation by this point. Like a, a lot of people, especially on the talented affiliate side, a lot of people are confident that Arrival are just scammers. As for the arrests, um, our version at Advantel is that this was mostly related to strengthening the grip on cryptocurrency because every major takedown that was very similar with Abaddon just disappearing. And we had a lot of evidence from the dark web chatter suggesting that Abaddon was threatened by the Federal Security Bureau. Each time there is a major arrest of a ransomware group, it somehow correlates with the major legislation strengthening the government grip in Russia on anything related to cryptocurrencies. And most likely, this uh, harshening of this grip was related to the government preparing for the war, because obviously the war they knew will provoke sanctions. I don't think they estimated the scale of sanctions, but they definitely Interesting. will provoke sanctions. And then sanctions will provoke people withdrawing funds. And cryptocurrency is a very good way of withdrawing funds. So they started to take down those groups who were good in cryptocurrency because they wanted to make the grip harsher in in uh, before the war and the timing here, I think is very illustrative. Our evil was taken down in months before the war began. Really interesting. So it was really more about controlling the money money supply in some ways, and yeah, interesting. Mm -hmm. You could okay. see that actually with our evil. You could see that in the um, so the criminal code article at which they were prosecuted. Mm -hmm. That's related not to cybercrime. That's actually related to um, how they call it illicit transfer of funds. So money, money laundering, not, we would say here. Yeah, and, and money laundering. Yeah, that's yeah. The, the in Russian uh, code of law. That's actually the same the same article. So uh, they were not they were not arrested for hacking. Uh, they were arrested for um, transferring money in not a proper manner. Any more questions, Carol? Yeah, we do have one last question um, okay. related to the Conti leaks. Um, how did the leaks affect Conti's syndicate operations, um, considering that they continue to publish victims on their leak site? I know we touched on that um, just about 20 this week, according to the person who asked this question. 
Conti yesterday uh, when I used a representative on one of the ransomware forums and they literally said this. They said that like, hey, we're Boston things on the website. Why do you think we're down? Uh, unfortunately, one big issue with Conti is that each time they have a leak, they keep going and the leaks are not terminating their operations if not making them even stronger. And that's that's really unfortunate because uh, we keep seeing these leaks by this time, like each three months, and then the group keeps prospering. Um, so um, they, um, I think they, they even benefited to some extent uh, from the leaks because that way they resolved any potential ramifications of the war for them. Uh, what we see at this point with the dark web chatter is that Quanti had a very strong cohesion between their Ukrainian, East Ukrainian and Russian uh, members. And a lot of groups, they stated internally that we are with each other and we will support each other and uh, we will help each other out especially those who's like family affected by the warfare and we will like we'll unite and stand uh, uh stand stronger uh, to some extent that was actually the message they tried to say when they tried to revoke the message from you know that yeah. uh one of those leaders who stated the allegiance with russia so with leaks unfortunately uh one of the things is that a huge proportion of the leaks were related to the TrickBot operation, which shut down in any case. So unfortunately, it was a really good timing for Quantia that the segment of the segment of the organization that has been most affected, the division that has been most affected, was closed several months, uh, several weeks before the leaks happened. And unfortunately, we don't we don't see a major damage made um, for them. Um, that being said, it makes us stronger because knowing the enemy is always a very important benefit you have as in building your defense or in building your offense. So that's that's still good. Yeah, final question uh, for our, our listeners. Um, in terms of defending against uh, groups like Conti, what are your recommendations? What can what are some things that they can do to um, just improve their security posture? I'm a proponent of the idea that addressing the basic uh, the basic defenses is most effective against contemporary ransomware groups because at this point they still continue to exploit the large attack surfaces rather than you know go with targeted hits. So one of the best advices would be check the FBI website. They have amazingly well-written, succinct recommendations about everything starting from backups and then with network segmentation. Um, specifically for Quanti, definitely IOC is related to Imatat. Any IOC is related to Cobalt Strike, they will keep uh, repetitively uh, using it for a bit at least. Um, definitely a lot for J patching, lot for shell patching, maybe preemptive, um, preemptive audit for a sonic wall, sonic exploit. Um, and then um, anything related to uh, RMM, remote management software, uh, Quanti is very focused on trying to weaponize the legitimate tool, uh, Atera, um, 
remote desktop protocol tools, Anadesk, obviously, uh, Zoho is the new one um, that they start experimenting with. Interesting. Um, uh -huh. RMM Ninja was the other the other tool they were discussing internally. So any anything related to the uh, RMM tools uh, at this point, the internal protection with a lot of this legitimate RMM software is pretty pretty good itself. But again, we're talking about a very sophisticated group. And then um, definitely audit related to backups. Uh, Conti specifically targets VM for uh, admin accounts, um, admin account backup removal. Um, VM has been uh, employing patching um, after the, the Conti VM discovery was done, but it's, it's, it's always good to, to double check. So for Conti specifically, those would be um, specific recommendations. But in general, everything that addresses your basic defenses, EDR, endpoint protection, um just basic security hygiene this is really really effective with with this type of groups let's see uh bogoslavsky thank you so much for coming on and speaking to us uh on conversing labs it's been great to have you in and we'll definitely do it again thank you so much it's been great talking to you carolyn thanks so much once again for your help of course and thank you to everybody who asked questions today yeah. Absolutely. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode. So stay tuned, check your email box. We'll be sending you emails when we're uh, ready to come live again. Thanks so much. You'll see. Thanks. Have a good one.